Well, you can talk about film. Gotta be quicker than this. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal, but for once in your life... Be real! Welcome one and all to Be Real, to your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast, all reviewing this week as we're doing a mini episode on a brand new title. It's the number one movie in America, at least I think it was, last week from Portland, Oregon. My name is Chance Solem Pfeiffer, and I'm carving Ben and Beverly into a tree and live from Brooklyn. He really should go home, but not without his boat. It's Noah Ballard. Hey, pal. How you doing? We're going to talk about it. Yeah, we are going to talk about it, um, which I bullied Chance into reviewing. Chance doesn't really like scary movies, but I really don't. I'm I had not been to I had not been to one in the theater since The Babadook, so that uh, was four years ago. <laughs> sure, and I'm reading the the novel upon which the movie is based loosely. I would say, sure, came out 31 years ago. Yeah. How far through this 11? It's like a thousand page book, are you? It's like twelve hundred pages. Uh, okay. I think I'm in like the eight hundreds. Okay, so so I've read two books, but I still have <laughs> another book to get through. Nice. Um, well, yeah, this movie came out two weeks ago. It, of course, is based on the 1986 Stephen King uh, monolith of a of a modern horror book. Uh, the movie is directed by uh, Andy Muschietti. Um, who you might know from directing the horror film uh, Mama, which came out a few years ago. He's kind of a uh, del Toro protege. Um, yeah, Noah, do you want to synopsize? I feel like you're better suited to do that in this case. Sure. Um, so we're, the movie's primarily set, or uh, completely set, in the fictional town of Derry, Maine. And set approximately 27 years ago. Um, what is it, 1989? Mm-hmm. And we pick up with um, this band of children, not super dissimilar from the band of children if you saw uh, Stranger Things. Sure. Though I feel like were... a lot of people this summer are realizing what a debt Stranger Things owes to it. Well, I think it just owes a debt to like Stephen King and you know that sort of brand of domestic horror but the configuration of these kids and their bikes in the town in particular right it's very similar to stranger things um though i think stranger things has like maybe a little bit more fun because of everything that's been made since it was written and everything that's been written since it was written yeah um but yeah you have your quintessential gang of young kids uh five guys and one girl um, you've got the leader of the group, Bill stuttering, Bill Denbro, mm-hmm. who I don't think this is that much of a spoiler. Like his brother goes missing in the first, uh, scene. Yeah. And that sort of leads him on this quest to find out, well, first to find his brother and then to find out what happened to his brother. When you're a kid, I think the universe revolves around you. You think that you'll always be protected and cared for. Then, one day, you realize that's not true. Because when you're alone as a kid, the monsters see you as weaker. 
You don't even know they're getting closer. Until it's too late. thinks this town is cursed. That all the bad things that happen in this town are because of one thing. An evil thing. That's what I think is so funny about this movie and this book and this idea is like they all have like one thing wrong with them. In air quotes, wrong. Wrong. Right, right. It, yeah. According to like the 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 workings of this movie and the politics of this movie, they all have like one thing that like they can be bullied for. And it's the same thing in the book, too, I would say, to an even more ridiculous degree. Um, but yeah, Bill stutters, as I said. Ben is fat. Uh, Beverly is both a tomboy and she gets sort of the reputation for being a slut. And then so we have Mike and the, I mean, his main sort of, you know, cause of conflict is the fact that he's black in a racist uh, sort of rural town. Super white main town. Then we have uh, Eddie Kasbrack who has this like oppressive mother yep. who like has convinced him that he's sick. It's almost like the, the family or the mother in uh, the sixth sense or something like to the nth degree. Mm hmm. And then Stanley Uris, uh, he's Jewish, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Though in the movie, I was waiting for a little bit more anti-Semitism in the movie because the book is very anti-Semitic. Sure. Well, the the first part of the book is set in the fifties, right? So the whole thing is basically told from Mike's perspective. Mike is has had this childhood that we sort of vaguely know something traumatic happens when the book opens but ultimately it's him sort of chronicling the history of this town and the fact that like weird things tend to happen in Derry and half historically for hundreds of years as far back as the history goes that every 27 years like killings start happening or something explodes and a lot of people die or like some hateful thing like gets blown out of proportion and then people go missing mostly children and then as quickly as it came, this thing stops. Yeah. So the book picks up in the fifties and, or I'm sorry, it picks up in the eighties when the book was written. Um, and it sort of shows these adults now who have to, they don't quite remember either like what happened in Derry, but Mike calls them back and says, the, th- it is back, whatever it is, you mm-hmm. guys have to come because we swore this blood oath that if it came back, we would, fix it. And so the book then flashes back between contemporary eighties dairy and fifties dairy, where you have them as kids doing their sort of stranger things thing. But then you have the main thrust of the narrative is when they're adults. They're it's 27 years after, and they're a little bit younger in the book too, which I think is interesting. This one sort of posits that they're like high school freshmen, Mm -hmm. but the book is, they're like late elementary school. They're like more like fifth or sixth grade. Okay. So let's get into, I can't believe we haven't said this, but then Bill Skarsgård plays Pennywise, the dancing clown. Yeah. So the thing, so it in this town is manifests itself as yes. Pennywise, the clown, this like horribly scary carnival clown who can then morph into 
we figure out pretty quickly things that the beholder is afraid of. It's sort of right. like the um, the boggart, the, the boggart from Harry Potter. Yeah. What do you think of these kids? You spend basically the whole movie with the kids apart, and they come together. They go apart again. They come together. Well, I mean, how do what do you think of the actors? What do you think of the relationships? So I think this movie does itself a big favor and the book like also sort of does this, but the the movie really leans into this idea that these are kids with suddenly the summer in front of them. The, like it picks up with the end of school and here's this summer that's laid out before them and they have their plans and they also have their foes too, these bullies that they're going to try to stay away from. Mm-hmm. And this is just time that they have to kill and so they sort of like need a mystery. They like need something to do to like occupy their time and also to like build relationships around. So that ultimately like becomes, you know, it's not so incidental as it like because of the way the movie's framed that doesn't even acknowledge the fact that we're ever going to touch on them as adults. There's no like this movie isn't told as if it were a flashback other than the fact that it is set in the late 80s. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the kids are, are mostly uh, cute. I think that uh, Sophie Lillis, who plays Beverly, is by far the best actor among right. them. And she also just, she has a certain, like, burgeoning movie star thing going on. Where it's yeah. like, she just has, like, different gears of personality than these other boys who seem like they're little kids. Right. You could have, like, I think replaced a lot of the other boys with other actors to no real difference, including one of the boys who's in Stranger Things. It's true. Yeah. The guy, kid who plays Mike plays Richie. Mike from Stranger Things, not Mike from It. Right. Oh, names of 80s kids. Um, right. But yeah, you're right about um, Beverly. What is her name? Sophie Lillis. She, like, has a real, I mean, it's certainly not as good or memorable as uh, like a Jennifer Lawrence in Winter's Bone because she has to scare or she has to share sorry so much screen time with the rest of the, the boys yeah but like she's very good she's excellent I mean she can pull off moments where like they're making fun of Ben for liking new kids on the block and he's just like been kind of like carved up in an upsetting scene by a bully and she's just like, oh, do they have the right stuff to fix you up? And it's like this moment between them with like a new kids on the block joke. And yeah. she's also, I think one of the things, she's good. And I think one of the things, the failings of this movie is that like, I just don't think the other kids or the movie's attention to her can quite get on her level. You know, it kind of like uh, subjects her to a, a damsel in distress thing that these like, little boys who I don't care about as much, like can only solve when it's just like, can Beverly kind of solve this shit? I like, there's a hint of that for me not to besmirch the source material. Right. Well, I think it's in this case, it's handicapped a bit by the source material, but there's also the idea too. And I think, I don't think you're wrong. I think that this movie is like trying to be a movie in 2017. It's like, why don't we give this sort of interesting female character a chance to be the protagonist of the movie? But the script doesn't call for that. Okay, let's talk about the horror. Because we don't do horror movies. We did really. Sixth Sense and Chucky, and I think we've watched 200 other non-horror movies. I don't like gory movies. That's the thing. I don't care about like being frightened. I care about like I care about like being grossed out. Yeah. And so for this one, I felt like I could get behind it because even as like violent as the book is, the movie handled it in sort of a tasteful way. 
mm-hmm. that was scary, but not like alarm or like disturbing or alarming or something. Yeah. And it also, cause the horror of the book for me was not so much like the things that happen. It's like the things, you know, are happening like off camera. All the parents are either distant or dismissive or straight up manipulative or abusive. Right. There's really no, there's no like nice teacher. There's nothing like that. No. I think a couple of the things that I appreciated about the horror aspect were the Bill Skarsgård performance, which Mm -hmm. is, I, which is quite remarkable, especially in the opening scene. There's horrifying. What I found horrifying is how present he is. I really don't like that. Like it makes you realize how many like movie monsters are kind of like how demonic they are. They're sort of like detached, right. you know, and he's just like, are you Georgie? Like he's yeah. just right there. What he eats is fear. Yeah. So he it has to be very intentional. Right. He has realized the most fearsome thing about him is the fact that for a moment you think he's harmless. Yeah. And then when he turns out to be this like horrible thing like that, and I think it convinces me as an audience member, too, that like, I mean, I knew what happened in the first scene, but I'm like, you know what? He is just going to hand him the boat back and it's going to be a <laughs> weird moment. But like, ultimately, he's going to do nothing. So a lot of the horror is just like something runs at you and right. it almost gets you and that's fine. But Andy Muschietti has this way of directing. He does it a couple times where the where Pennywise will be running at someone and they will run away and he does a second cut to kind of ground it in the world like this happened in the there's a scene where uh billy's in the basement and he thinks he sees his brother and pennywise comes running up the stairs at him and it's not the running that's like makes your spine feel like a fucking slinky it's the fact that muschetti cuts and you see the clown land on the stairs and how close it was and the spatial and like the Mm -hmm. this this is real and there's a couple it's the garage scene is like that too right when you like when they play with you don't know what his rules are Because you know that he's – what's I think most interesting about the Pennywise character is the fact that he is – like he's not omnipresent or like omnipotent. He can be defeated and the way you defeat him – like sometimes in a physical space you can defeat him but also by not taking him seriously you can defeat him. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's such an interesting thing. Like he doesn't always get the kid. Like imagine how many kids he would get, you know, if he always got the kid. It, there would be no town. There'd be no town. Right. But it's, I think it's funny, like how many near misses there must be even from characters we don't see. And the book gets into that more. And the near misses also kind of feeds into his sense of play that like, right. ah, I, I, you know what? That was fun. I don't give a shit. I'll get you next time. <laughs> I want to put a question to you because this leads into my big criticism of the movie. Uh-huh. So this is a, a 1200 page book told across two timelines now as we talked about the movie is only on the one timeline it's only set in the adolescent years um what is it that mandates that this is like a two-hour 20-minute movie isn't this or like what does stephen king spend his pages on because to me this story is actually very simple it is very simple but it's also like so this is what i wanted to say like I want to talk about like where the movie differs from the books in like major ways. It's because the book lets you know that it's a book about racism. It's a book about anti-Semitism. It's a book about child abuse. It's a book about sort of the legacy of abuse that people go through and how people sort of like 
despite their best efforts, just become the adult versions of the kids that they were. So I think he has to like, because there's so many more scenes of like Bev with her father and the father is like, frankly, a lot scarier, I think in the, cause he's just straight up abusive in the book. In this one, he's like got that simmering sort of sexual thing about him mm-hmm. in the book that that really never happens. At least mm-hmm. as far as I've read, he just like hits her for any reason he can find. Okay. I think it unpacks more. So like if when you get to Eddie, it's like unpacking this idea of, you know, he sees it as a leper because he's so afraid of disease and like becoming this way. Oh, okay. So, I, but I think the weirdest, biggest departure in the book from the, from the movie to the book is, uh, or vice versa is Mike because there's so much racism in the book, but that's sort of what links them all is they're all sort of alienated by this fifties way of thinking. Oh, and the way that like Stanley is just like ostracized for being a Jew is just like unbelievably like potent in the book. It's like school ties racism. Yeah. It it very much is similar to school ties. Um, But this movie, because it's set in the eighties, it like doesn't have to worry about that. Maybe. Mm hmm. But I also think that that's a strange way to deal with the source material in 2017. Yeah, it's uh, me. It's not the most courageous way to deal with it. So that, that's what I'm kind of saying is that like if this movie can be faulted for anything, it's not having a lot of courage to be a horror movie in 2017. Sure. Yeah. So that's all really interesting. And it's exactly the context I was looking for from you. Not knowing anything about the book, never having seen the 1990 miniseries, I just kind of felt like the configuration of this movie is that it's sort of like a buffet style movie where it's just like you pop to this kid. He's very scared of his individual life. Pop to her. Pop to Beverly. She's very scared of her individual life for good reason. Pop over here. Pop over here. Pop over here. See them intersect a little bit. And then about, uh, I don't know, 80 minutes into the movie, they all come together for a big like showdown and like it's time for them to really like face their fear and the all the manifestations of their fears um but then they break apart again for a reason that like did not make sense to me given the fact that they'd all just come together and they'd spent the entire movie being alienated and scared alone and then they go then they have to get together again one more time and so i sort of felt like the movie was mispaced and i assume that's because there was just stuff they wanted to be faithful to but as a movie it felt it honestly felt like this could be a hundred minutes with yeah. like with a wind up and a and a smash and but by the time we got to the final with this movie considered the climax i almost felt like the uh the first the first showdown was the climax does that make sense oh uh, when they're in the house yeah yeah the house not the sewer the house not the sewer Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, frankly, and getting to this, I mean, the 2017 conversation doesn't just mean politics to me. It also means medium. And it's Uh like, how did this, I mean, I guess my biggest question or maybe biggest disappointment with the project is like, why wasn't this greenlit for like a series? Like, especially after how successful Stranger Things was for that space. Like, why not make this into like, and it's already been done as a miniseries successfully. Like, why not turn this into, you know, a six to 10 part you know, American horror story or just Netflix thing where you do all of it faithfully and then you don't have that like weird because the movie, you think it's like a two act structure, but then it suddenly is like, oh, it's five acts. 
<laughs> yeah. But but right. acts three and four are very short. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why don't we tell people how we rate movies in this podcast, and then we shall rate it. Hit it. All movies and most of life can be described with our rating system. The four categories are good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure. Good, good is easy. Things that make you feel smart and happy, and that for both reasons you'd want to do again. Like watching The Departed or Jaws or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good, good movies make Noah say, Love that. Bad, bad is easy, too. Things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild West, a conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad, bad movies make Chance say things like, I hated that. Good, bad, then, is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, most classical music, eating your goddamn vegetables. Good, bad is about being an adult, and these kinds of movies make Noah say, I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, bad good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos. It's late career Billy Joel. It's movies like Christmas Vacation. Honey? Kids? And Deep Blue Sea. Bad good movies make chance say, But it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. We've talked before about how horror movies are interesting to rate with our rating system because it all depends whether you get pleasure from fright because that's the back half of our system. As a rule, I do not. (laughs) I don't like it. I just have too active a visual imagination. They freak me out. It's not. It just doesn't bring me any pleasure. Um, So for it to get a second good from me, I really need something resembling like a holistic sweeping immersive plot and because of the kind of stop start nature of this movie the patchiness of both the plot and the performances it's not a big surprise that i can't give it that second good even though i found the world to be good and the directing to certainly be good it's going to be a good bad for me interesting because you're coming at it this cult, whereas i'm coming in having like read some of the book and then read more of the book after seeing it um I think if you're a fan of the source material, you will be happy with the adaptation and remember the best parts of it. So I'm clearly coming at it with a context already in mind. Sure. Well, this is good for the two different sides of our audience. Right. And I think in that way, I mean, I knew that some of the frights were coming and in what form they were coming. I didn't know everything. And some things were, of course, changed. I was entertained. I think they rendered the town well. I My only like asterisk is I think they could have been a little bit bolder with th- what this town means. And the mm-hmm. town was built on... like The whole point of this, this weird place that they are is it's a series of horrible things. What, what has built this town is a series of horrible acts of hate. Sure. And this is another thing that seems that I could have used. Like, not not really knowing the book and not and therefore not really having like a lot of respect or anticipation for like a sequel that they say is just coming i was kind of like what is the original sin of this town like i needed that puzzle to be fully glued and you don't get it from just the movie 
Right. You get the sense that there's something going on here. And there's like some great scenes where like adults see things and like do nothing that are kind yeah, of like they've true. seen this all before. And like they just know to keep their noses out of it. But mm-hmm. I think like Derry as a town was is lacking currently. Can they save it with the second one? Maybe. Um, but I think as a horror movie, seeing it when I did, I saw it at like 11 o'clock in the morning last weekend. Um, yeah. And I loved it. I thought it was great. Good, good. All right, folks. We've got, after some technological issues, we're back in the saddle. We have more episodes uh, coming to you this September. We might even have a full one out the same week as this mini. Who knows? Um, But find Be Real at berealpodcast.com. Be Real Pod on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. We are available for your listening pleasure on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Overcast. As always, it's been my pleasure to talk to Noah Ballard. We all float down here, do we not? Everyone floats down here. You'll float too. Okay, I'm in then. Bill, if you'll come with me, you'll float too. Georgie.